Hi, I'm Spencer. And I'm Blake. And, and you're, you're about, about to, to Get, get jumped. jumped. Welcome to episode 58 of Blake and Spencer Get Jumped, a weekly podcast where we watch the anime so you don't have to. But you should still totally watch the anime. This week on Get Jumped, we're watching Dimension W, episodes 4 through 6, with an attack from ghosts made out of fog. Okay, so you might be thinking at this point, ghosts aren't made of fogs, ghosts are made of ectoplasm. Everyone knows that, because everyone has seen Ghostbusters. Well, you are right. Let's jump in. Oh. <laughs> I guess I have to agree with you based on how these episodes shake out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're back with Dimension W. This is our newest show. And I isn't it the only show that both of us have never seen before recording this series? I No, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> how could I forget? Uh, JoJo's, yeah, JoJo's Half Garbage Adventure. jojo's thank god it's way better adventure (laughs) oh my god stardust less terrible adventure um i'm so excited to watch more of that but i i guess that's like three weeks from now so um or two yeah because we did hunter last time um so you just have to we we are finally into the crux of the sweetness of naruto Oh, yeah, I'm excited. That's next week. I guess let's just real quick talk about every other fucking show except the one we're here to talk about today. Yeah, fuck this show. (laughs) Remember when we did Cowboy Bebop? (laughs) Yeah, I know, right? Um, Yeah, so Dimension W, I I love this show. Like, I... So Spencer and I were about to talk about this before we got on, but I wanted to wait. So my biggest qualm about Dimension W so far is that it's six episodes and we are as of, you know, finish as of this episode, we're going to cover, or sorry, it's 12 episodes. We're going to cover up through episode six today. And two of the three episodes we're covering today, they don't, they're not, not connected to anything, but it's kind of like the plots that they cover feel like the kind of plots that you would see in a long running show. And particularly Mm -hmm. in the early days of a long running show, Like, I'm going to use Bleach as an example. In Bleach, it becomes this pretty pretty standard, um, fairly well done, but pretty standard um, strong people fighting each other with cool powers anime. But in the beginning, it's about, like, monster hunting and introducing these characters. And each episode contains a single story, or the stories will stretch over two, maybe three episodes. And then you get into, like, the second arc, and that's when it becomes a little bit more of, like, a traditional shonen anime where it's, like, an arc-long plotline that is sort of a series of fights broken up by plot. And the the series, at the beginning, it, it has, like, all of these sort of episodic things that are interesting, but not ultimately that consequential in the grand scheme of things. And the episodes that we watched today felt kind of like that to me. Um, obviously I don't know where the show is going and I do feel like um, episode six feels like it's setting up something that could actually be the rest of the six episodes. Um, again, yeah, I don't so know. The, la- the last episode has this moment where you're just like, Oh, they're moving to the end game. 
Yeah, it does. It did feel like that. Um, and it ends on a cool cliffhanger as far as like what our coverage is versus like, well, I don't know where it's going to go, but I'm, I'm really excited about what happens next. But um, I definitely thought that episodes four and five felt like mostly the kind of stuff you see in an anime that has time to kill and that has an interesting story that's not necessarily crucial. And um, and again, it, uh, they were good episodes. I liked them, but I, I definitely kept thinking in the back of my head, like, how are they able to devote this much time to this kind of a plot when we, like, we got 12 episodes to wrap this up, <laughs> you know? So... Uh, I don't know. Do you feel the same way, Spencer? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit weird. It's one of those things where you, you kind of wonder if it was all broken out like this or it was like they had a grander plan for everything, so this was just kind of baked in. Um, but, like, the the thing that I sort of noticed about this show um, in the in the sense of the way that it's broken out is they have... They have this like huge range of numbers that they're looking for. These like uh, these coils uh, that are legal, and we've seen a uh, ranging numbers on them from like thirty to the one that's going to happen today, which is one eighty nine. So the inside of my head, I'm like, oh, it's like Pokemon. You're going to expect to see all one hundred and eighty nine at least of these uh, coils in a different storyline. They have a massive plot arc waiting for us, but then you look at the number of episodes and you're like. Mm. There's no way. I, I will contradict you a little bit because isn't the I think they I think last time they talked about how the power of the numbers is that they're prime numbers. So I didn't do the math, but I'm pretty sure 183 is a prime number. So like it's not actually or sorry 189. So it's not actually like uh, oh no 189 is not prime. I just <laughs> that divides by three pretty easily. So okay, well fuck that. Yeah, it's 189 at least. Mm. Um, so, uh, the other thing, this is definitely a side note, but the other thing, uh, I grew up watching Digimon and I love Digimon pretty much fully for the nostalgia value. Like the dub's not great. It's sort of dumbed down from the Japanese, which is already a little muted as far as like the stories they could tell or the stories that they hint at. Like it always feels like if you wrote it with a an older audience in mind, it would make a little bit more sense, but it's always written for a little bit of a younger audience and all that shit. Like I, but I love Digimon just because I grew up on it. And this show is all about like a slightly futuristic society that connects with mysterious other dimensions that cause strange things to happen. And it has beautiful animation and, high quality animation and every time i watch it i'm just like god i wish they would do a digimon series like this but i guess they're not going to and that's just my personal dream so if you're in charge of digimon and you're listening to us please make this happen albert schumann digital monsters (laughs) albert schumann champions (laughs) (laughs) oh my god anyways um, uh, the other note I wanted to, uh, bounce off of people before we go into this, and this is another bone to pick note, um, uh, with the world at large is, uh, I well, tuned in world? on, sa- yes, I oh. tuned in on Saturday to watch the new episode of My Hero Academia. Oh my God, I, I'm so far behind. <laughs> I was, uh, gr- greeted by a very special episode um, which is code word for filler, 
of My Hero Academia, and I wanted to rip my hair out because I was like, they have not done this yet, and I am so sick of them being like, it's a special episode, and I'm like, that just means it's going to be shitty. Like, I get so frustrated with, like, with these kind of episodes that are rolled out. If you're a Doctor Who fan, it's also kind of like, you know, the Christmas specials. And some people are like, I love these, but most people are like, uh, can we not? So, like, I don't know. I, I, I just had a very frustrating experience with that this week, and I, I wanted to blow off some steam. That is really surprising based on uh, the way that My Hero Academia has gone so far. It's been super plot heavy and really, really I'm well so paced. Mad about it. Yeah, I'm so I actually mad about it. I watched an episode this week, but I'm pretty far behind. I watched the episode where everybody like talks about their fucking internships, and I thought it was going to be boring, and it was really good because mm-hmm. that's just how My Hero Academia is. Uh, yeah. So that's a that's disappointing here. Yeah, so be prepared for that. It's going to suck. Anyways, um, let's go ahead and uh, jump in with our previously on uh, Dimension W. Yeah, so we have um, Dimension W is a a future sci-fi series in which there were these things called coils, which are basically energy generators that pull energy from other dimensions. Um, one of which is called Dimension W. Um, so coils are now used all over. Um, there are like giant coils scattered throughout the throughout the world that create this network. Um, coils are incorporated into people's bodies, into the tools that they use. Pretty much everything around you is coil related, um, and some of the coils are special. They're like earlier coils and they're called numbers. And if I'm remembering correctly, the numbers are special because they basically don't have the same kind of like regulators as modern coils. And so they're able to draw on greater amounts of dimensional energy, but at a higher risk of things going awry. Um, yeah. So the, the coils, they, um, the numbers, they go much, much deeper into Dimension W, where there is much more unstable energy. Therefore, the coil's effect is not predictable. So Yeah, and so last it, time... Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. So they, what we've seen before, like you were about to say, is um, one of these coils that was uh, a number was... Um, uh, was like might have had an explosive effect on something where we've seen these illegal coils, which are not as powerful, but still not without the same, like they don't have the same regulator. They can cause like the, you know, people to be shifted inside of each other, duplications to like to happen. Basically like uh, dimensional rifts that cause localized devastation. Yes. And so illegal coils um, are, are obviously a problem. Um, And there are these uh, people that are basically illegal coil bounty hunters called collectors. And our main character is a guy named Mabushi Kyoma, and he is a collector. He is also kind of weird in the society because he doesn't like coils. He doesn't have any in his body. He tends not to surround himself with them. So his place is like he, he, has a a gas-powered vehicle, and that is considered to be shocking and something that you generally only see in a museum. But he's that kind of person. He is 
not somebody who wants to advance into this coil age with the rest of society. And he has his hatred of coils is a little mysterious and a little cloaked. Um, he has met up a robot girl called Mira. She was um, robot. Robot people are not that rare in this setting. However, she is unique because her robotic brain functions in the way that a human brain is. So if you didn't know any better, you would think she was a person rather than a robot. And that is sort of an ongoing mystery as well. Um, There's also another important character named Albert Schumann. And he is, uh, he works for, what does he work for? He works for like the investigative branch of the company that is in charge of all the global coils. And, Tesla Corporation. Right. Um, how can I fucking forget that? So <laughs> Albert Schumann, uh, you have to say his full name every time you announce him. Um, yeah, and if you say it three times fast, you'll summon him in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. And um, he and Kyoma have a, they seem to have a sort of like friendly rivalry with each other. Um, and they're, they are somewhat at odds. It's kind of, it makes me think of like old detective stories and like film noir where like the detective isn't a bad guy, but he sometimes gets involved in bad things and either does bad things or seems to have done bad things. And this puts him at odds with the local law enforcement, even though ultimately they both want the same or similar goals and are both sort of working for the same side. So, um, Schum- Albert Schumann and Kyoma are both seeking out illegal coils for slightly different motivations, and this brings them into mild conflict occasionally. They are also both something called a Beast of Grendel, and that is a name given to humans who fought in a war that was almost entirely fought with robots and automation. And these humans have a reputation for being particularly dangerous for being able to fight on the same plane as these like coil boosted uh, automatons. And that's, I think yeah. that's everything that brings us up to date. Well, other than Mira. But well, I mean, I talked a little bit about her. her. Yeah, whatever. Anyways, let's go ahead and jump into these episodes. Dimension W episode four, the mystery hidden in Lake Wasogami. Um, so this episode, uh, starts out like every supernatural episode in the fact that, uh, you're driving along in a car and all of a sudden there's a ghost girl in the road and one person sees it and the other person doesn't for some fucking reason, even though like if one person would notice it, both people would notice it. And he like spins out the car because she like freaks out. But, uh, she, she then like goes through her, her like memory banks thing and she's like, oh, I don't have any, like, I don't have any, like, image of this recorded on my eye cameras. So, so I, guess I would that say, didn't really happen. This is like the only time that that trope where one person sees it and the other person doesn't, even though they were both looking in the same direction. I think this is the only time they can get away with it, as far as I have encountered, because she's a robot powered by a coil and he's a person with no coils on him. So, I guess so, but. Yeah, we're going to find out that these ghosts are related to coils in some way, and I think that that is the key here. Yeah. Also, Kiyoma just doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> yeah, um, so uh, we are going to arrive at this hotel that's in the middle of this lake. Um, yeah, it's, it's the Shining um, Hotel, but lake version. Yeah, so it's it's pretty sweet. Uh, this hotel apparently was uh, was built in the middle of... 
uh, this this section of this lake, and a lot of people had died in the in the making of this lake, which used to be behind a dam. Um, yeah, about ten years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, so there's a novelist who's living there, and he basically lives alone. I think there was maybe a little continuity error because they they're like investigating him and they're like, he was in this place. He was there by himself. The only other person on the place was his robot, like assistant or whatever. And then you like see hit like a, a recording of the memories from the robot later on. And at the end of the recording, somebody else comes in who's like a maid and it's like, so he wasn't by himself. (laughs) Yeah. Well, um, so the, the big thing about this is that it's a, it's, it's a hotel. And inside of this hotel, there's like, there's keepers of the house or keepers of the hotel. And then there's these guests that are having like retreats out there. Um, so the, the, uh, the, there are more guests inside of the hotel. There's also, um, a quick little aside at the very start, um, before they go in where, um, uh, uh, reminds, uh, Mira that she needs to act completely like a robot and emotionless inside. And the biggest reason why is because, because there's robots all over this world, she doesn't want to stand out. Um, and she's already acting a little bit obnoxious because she's like really freaked out by this like ghost thing that she thinks that she saw a scene. Um, and so, uh, he, I, I can't really tell if it's going to be that big of a deal to draw attention to her or if he's just like, don't be like that as like an aside to uh, tell her to just be more normal. So I don't have to listen to you freaking out about stuff. And <laughs> I, yeah. I honestly think that like the writing of the show might be good enough to where he was just kind of like, I, I don't want to listen to you sort of her. thing. Yeah. <laughs> I think that could be a sort of secondary motivation. I do think that they, they've established that there is some issue with her being discovered to be a robot because of her behavior. And I think it is that like, maybe she's considered to have an illegal coil or she would be confiscated by the government or the Tesla corporation for further study or something like that. Like there is some risk to her. And I think them by association, if she is discovered to be this like anomaly of a robot but it is a little unclear. But um, yeah. anyway, so they have this conversation and then Kyoma gets shown up to his hotel room and who should be waiting there but Albert Schumann. And Albert Schumann yeah, is in- totally dressed down. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, he's in his uh, he's in his going out attire. Yeah. Um, he uh, <laughs> says that he's on vacation. He's in flip-flops of all things. And a um, pineapple shirt with his hair <laughs> and a ponytail. It's the best. I love Albert yeah. Schumann. He's great. Anyways, um, there, uh, instead of greeting him like a normal human being, uh, Kyoma decides that he's going to beat the Christ out of him. Um, and they're going to be pretty well-matched battling against each other until Kyoma gets like a good hit and he like kicks Albert Schumann out of the second story window. And... Uh, and so it's Mira's just story. like, oh, God, he's going to die. And uh, he's like, no, it's not tall enough. <laughs> Which I thought was badass because Albert Schumann is also shown not to have any coils. And it's not, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's a trait of Beasts of Grendel that they are like people who reject coils. Um, it seems maybe like that's Kiyoma's thing, but Beasts of Grendel are rare enough that uh, maybe that's their thing as a group. 
But like, yeah, Albert Schumann doesn't seem to augment himself with any coils, and he seems to be just about as skilled as um, Kioma for obvious reasons. And uh, it's just really cool. And the the fight that they have, it's like I don't know, fifteen or thirty seconds, and it's great. It's just a little exchanging of blows, and it's beautiful. Like this, the animation is very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, the next couple of sequences are just them uh, them exploring and looking around the lake. It's very, um, and, very pretty to watch. Yeah. Like, this is really visually pleasing. Yeah. And then there's a communication uh, between uh, Kioma and Albert Schumann uh, discussing the numbers. And they're just kind of, like, uh, talking about the, the deaths inside of this area that happened 10 years ago um, and how they kind of seem related. Um, meanwhile, uh, Mira, who has been walking around the uh, the big giant hotel is going to do a little bit of fan service. Um, yeah. and then she's going to be attacked in the bathroom, um, uh, by like some sort of weird dimensional thing that's trying to come after her. We don't really, it's like, it's not like a, a clear understanding. Oh yeah. The other thing is she's especially shook because they decided to read this book that Albert Schumann was reading. And it's like, uh, real gruesome. It sounds like, um, there's yeah, she read the book, and, and now she is Baba Shook. Yeah! <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, um, so uh, she is hanging around in the bathroom, and she's getting it, uh, or in the shower, and she gets uh, attacked by this weird robotic-looking thing that has an arm that's ripped apart that she says by barbed wire, um, and the thing that's really tripping her out about this is that every time she tries to look straight on at this thing that's attacking her, her memory is, is as if it is being altered on the fly. Yeah. Um, She can't access her robotic capabilities and Mm -hmm. she actually gets dimensional shifted and like she is, she's basically, it basically looks like she's been pulled into a memory or some sort of like, I don't know, ghost uh, 10 years ago hotel or whatever. Um, And her robot abilities are not available to her. Like she's not super strong. She can't leap great distances. She can't record or access memories with her like special robot eyes. And she's, she's kind of fucked. Yeah. Um, Um, And then we're also going to see this girl named Marisa, and she is able to connect to the other side, um, seemingly where these ghosts are coming from, um, by dreaming. And so these other people appear kind of out of nowhere and take her hostage yep. right as Kioma arrives to stop them from taking her hostage. And they yep. they stop him from stopping them with that scene from The Matrix where they shoot in through the window. Yeah. Anyways, um, there there's a lot of... I don't know, kind of like weird things that are happening in this episode. And from the way that we're explaining it, it almost sounds like they're like wrong place, wrong time sort of situations. But it, it does, it does feel as if there, there's this murder that happened. These people showed up and then they are getting ready to do it when these investigators show up, but the investigators would have shown up at this around the same time. So in your head, while you're watching it, it doesn't seem like a bunch of coincidences that just happened to shake up. It more feels like it's the sequence of events and everybody keeps on having to push it forward. Um, because they're, they're trying to, uh, get retaliation for something against this woman for something. 
And we're going to find out more about that in this next episode called uh, The Potential of the Dead. Um, Weird ghost mist water things are attacking everybody. Um, They are... Okay, I have this this bone to pick about this show just a little bit. Sometimes the show does a little bit of 3D animation. <laughs> like yeah. uh, with Kilma's car and with uh, with these ghosts for a minute. And I fucking hate it. Because it's just like, it's the only thing inside of the show that doesn't feel, that feels lazy in comparison. And uh, it's it's kind of a bummer because it's like, I... I look at this sort of animation now is lazy instead of cool. And I think that that's just a mixed media feeling of mine. Yeah. I'm not huge on mixed media either. My least favorite version of that is in, um, Puella, whatever the hell, Maji Maruka. I don't know the name of it. That, that magical girls, uh, deconstruction series that I watched most of. And now it's not available. I think, um, it, it was a great series that was marred by all of the action taking place in mixed, in, uh, mixed media. So like the characters were all animated and the world around them was animated until they went into like these witch spaces, in which case it was like kind of avant-garde art and it just didn't do it for me. And I thought it obscured the otherwise beautiful animation and they could have had like really cool fights, but it was done in this mixed media thing. It wasn't my thing. It's, you know, if you like it, I get why you like it. Like it, it's cool and it's edgy um, and kind of unique, but it just wasn't my favorite. Um, I sort of agree with you on this. Um, I think in the last, the last time we covered it, the first three episodes, Obviously, they, they'll mix um, this 3D animation a little bit, but I think they do a good job with it as far as, like, cell shading it so that it blends into the animation fairly well. Like, you can tell a difference, but it doesn't stand out like a sore thumb. But in these episodes, I think it stands out a little bit more. Um, yeah, it didn't bother me. Ghosts, and it, it's frustrating <laughs> because the one of the ways that they express the ghosts is in a really cool way. And yeah. then the other way they express the ghosts is in a really lame way, which is like, it's, it's kind of frustrating at that. Um, yeah, but I, like, I think I, I noticed the 3D animation last time we watched this as being a really good version of integrating 3D animation into a hand-drawn show. Mm-hmm. And this time I noticed it a little bit more as like standing out. So I agree with you, but it didn't get to me as much. Yeah. Anyways, these ghosts are attacking. They're weird. Uh, they sort of seem uh, like blob men that are attacking at first. Um, Kyoma is going to knock down a water bottle and it's going to go straight through one. So he takes uh, this immediately to understand that they're weak to water so that he is going to start attacking them with water. Blake has written down here that the aliens and signs are also weak to water. And all I can say here, Blake, is that spoiler alert, you wang, some people haven't seen signs. Really? That's the oldest movie ever made. I'm sorry, I couldn't even make it all the way through it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the aliens and signs are weak to water, just like these ghosts. We're going to learn in a little bit that they're actually weak to... Like, they're they're fog ghosts, so when they were first like, they're weak to water, I was like, they are water, so that doesn't make any sense. (laughs) But uh, it's going to turn out that they are special water, because they are the water that comes from this lake, and water that doesn't come from the lake 
fucks with them. So, um, in the meantime, Mira's in the other dimension, and we forgot to mention this, but uh, the the big cliffhanger at the end of episode four is that we find out that there is a younger, different acting version of the author who was killed that, like, brought them here in the first place on the other side. Like, he introduces himself with a different name. He calls himself Kamiki Shiro, um, even though the author's name was Shijiro Shikaki. And he basically says that, like, he changed his name after this disaster, but he's the same person. And so now he's, like, in this other dimension, like, apparently working with the ghosts or at least against our protagonists. Um, And we're going to learn a little bit more about this um, by the time this episode is over. But before all that can happen, Mira has to break free of her chains. And she basically does this. They, the way that they say it is that her logic overrode the logic of the universe that she's in. Um, Which I know I didn't really get how she did that, but sure, I'll go with it. Um, My rationality inside of it is that her coil, for some reason, gives her the ability to traverse different dimensions. Um, and she slowly figures that out. The That's the only explanation that I can really think of that for, for a minute she glows this kind of like bluish haze around her. Um, yeah. And all I can think is that she's ripping a dimensional rift with her coil somehow. I definitely um, think it that, has to do with her coils in some way. But I, also, we're going to find out that this dimension is coil related. And mm-hmm. coils are seemingly basically computers that filter dimensional energy. And the dimensional energy makes them a little crazy and unpredictable, but the computer part, it makes sense. Yeah, you could override the logic, so I'm willing to buy it. Yeah. Anyways, she is going to be almost ripped in half when she breaks out free of this and then kind of, like, runs off. And then uh, there's some more stuff that happens where she's just, like, naked for some reason. Well, yeah, she's... (laughs) She's partially naked throughout this entire thing. Ever oh, since the fan service, so fan servicey. <laughs> yeah, in the fan. So the fan service in the last episode is really fan servicey. It's like yep. there were parts where I was like, did they just not draw her nipples because they didn't want to like push the rating or something? But like mostly it was covered, but barely. But every once in a while, I was like, I'm pretty sure they're showing us everything, and she like either doesn't have nipples or they just neglected to draw it for censorship purposes or whatever. It was a lot, and as you know, Spencer and I are not fans of fan service, and uh, so I didn't like that, especially because the scene before any of the plot continued moving, it kind of stops for like a full 30 seconds just to, to be like, look, she's naked. Um, but unfortunately for everyone involved, she does not regain her clothes before she's transported to this other dimension. She actually goes to look for them, and it seems like they have been moved, and... So she can't find them, and then she's transported to this other dimension. So she's just wrapped up in a towel. Um, and to their credit, they do not then draw her in a super sexualized, fan service way every time. But uh, she has a coil in her chest, and whenever they need to focus on that, it comes in from an overhead shot that gives you a pretty, pretty uh, close-up view of her cleavage. So yeah. uh, it's a little disappointing. Yeah. Yeah, but um, so we're going to see in the real world, the sprinklers are going to go off in the hotel to dispel all the apparitions. 
And then um, there's this other collector that they they meet and they start working with in episode four, and she's here in episode five too. And I don't remember them saying her name, but she's really fucking cool. She she's kind of dressed. She's dressed like a Halloween maid. <laughs> like yeah. she's got like a she's got like bat wings and stuff coming off of her clothes, and the clothes are otherwise they're they're like. They're like a French maid or like, um, what's that character from Death Note? The like actress. Um, she she, hasn't watched Death Note in so long. Yeah. She dresses kind of like her a little bit, but she's really cool. She has these like robot bats that she can send out to like keep track of people or serve as like long range communication devices. And she's just cool. I like her design. Her powers are interesting. And then it's going to be revealed that she is working with loser who we also super love. We met him last time. If you don't know who he is, listen to our last dimension W episode. He's cool as fuck. And it's going to be revealed that Albert Schumann has actually secretly been after her this whole time. Um, and loser realizes this and call, tells her to pull out. So she's going to leave and Albert Schumann's not going to like capture her or loser by extension. Uh, yeah. but she's really cool. And I think we're going to see more of her. I hope. Yeah. Then, um, the story sort of deviates into two points at this point. Um, it is, uh, it is still showing us this, uh, this what's happening right now. Um, but then it takes a backseat to us watching what happened 10 years ago or maybe not. It, yeah, it, this is uh, definitely an unreliable narrator moment. Yeah, so there is a weird thing that you start watching, which is that uh, this big giant uh, dam that used to be over this lake um, is is set in place, and they're shutting down this dam. Um, the reason why they're shutting down this dam is because the creation of these coils has made it to where this energy source that we used to get from hydroelectric power no longer needs to exist. This is making um, these these people inside of this uh, inside of this power plant very upset. I'm assuming because that's where they got all their money from, um, right. and this is some sort of corporate interest sort of thing. Um, yeah. So um, the character that we are seeing inside of here, um, Kamiki and Inorm, uh, in Inamori, is that how Inamori? Yeah. yeah, Inamori. Um, they are going. Um, uh, Kamiki, to... real quick, Kamiki is the guy who ends up becoming the author who is killed right. and then also mysteriously being a part of the ghosts. And yeah. Inamori is a girl that we haven't really seen before, but she sure looks like the ghost girl that's been showing up and killing everybody. Yes. And also she has a little bit of a resemblance to somebody else. Um, we'll talk about that in a minute. Anyways, they're going to be uh, documenting what's going on with this dam. They're also going to be talking about how, like, they shouldn't uh, shut down the dam all at once because they will flood this plane and they will kill a bunch of people. And they're very worried about these people that are living below. There's just a lot of communication that's happening because they're like, we can no longer keep up this dam because there's no money going into it anymore. So it can't just sit here and remain... So they're going to have to eventually break the dam out and flood this area underneath. Um, so uh, instead of them uh, doing this on a normal plan, they step up the sequence of events to where it's going to be happening much sooner. Um, the people down below are not aware of this. Um, but right before that happens, there is a, uh, a really gross moment that I was just like, Fuck, man, can we get through one show? 
without them not like groping a woman. I swear to God. Yeah, <laughs> I, I honestly like. I feel like so I'm going to digress a little bit here, but I feel like you know, in in our lifetime, like Spencer and I are both around thirty years old, and. I feel like as we've gotten older, obviously when we were kids, we weren't we weren't really privy to this. But like as we've gotten older into like our late teens, early twenties, and up through recently, like the the world around like sexual assault and rape and that kind of thing has been really expanding from the perspective of like we're seeing a lot more reported incidents of uh, of like attacks on uh, mostly on women and it shows up in media a lot too. And I think it's just, it's hard to watch now because we're being reminded more and more that this is a real thing that happens to a lot of people instead of like, I think, I think for like a lot of our like early adult lives, it was something that we were like, it happens, but it's rare. And it's really not that rare. Like if you look at the statistics around it, there are a lot of women, particularly, and this can happen to men too, but that's much more uncommon. But there are a lot of women who are affected by it. And there are also a lot of statistics that show that many women who are affected by it don't report it. And that's changing a lot. But the the point being that when there are uh, sexually aggressive moments, sexual harassment on screen or attempted or a successful rape... It's really hard to watch always because that's a horrible thing. But I think it's getting harder and harder to watch because it's hitting closer and closer to home because it's something that we as a society are like more cognizant of and more sensitive to. And I think that's all good. I will say it didn't bother me as much here as it does sometimes because it kind of felt like in character and in plot. Um, I do think it's kind of sensationalized a lot in media or used when something that's a little bit less traumatic could be used. You could make that argument here, uh, but it didn't hit me quite as hard, but that's definitely something like, especially if you're a content creator, like that's definitely something to think about. Like you probably shouldn't include that as a plot point unless you have to. And even if you do, we probably don't need to see it. Yeah, it's just one of those things where there's there's a lot of it that feels as gross as 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 it seems fan services to some sort of people, and that is the thing that upsets me the most about it. Um, there's like this, there's a big sect of people inside of the anime world that want like they only un they they understand the sexualization of animation and stuff like that inside of the world as women being taken um and then they sort of just lean into it eventually and that's like a really fucked up thing that like i wish was not inside of this medium and the thing that really pisses me off about it is because people are putting this inside of this medium it fucking shades the rest of the entire culture of anime culture into this same box and it fucking makes me so grossed out that people are like oh you like anime that means you like uh like tentacle attack on these women right no that means you're a pervert right i like something else about it there's lots of animation that is not about that 
there's yeah. lots of anime. My favorite animes don't like don't encourage that at all. Like, and it's just yeah. one of those like frustrating things where I, I don't want to be lumped into that exact same fan base. And I yeah. don't think that it's a large enough medium to not be lumped into with those fucking creeps. Yeah, I think it's um, I think that that's a really frustrating thing with like outsiders see anime as one thing and insiders understand that anime is really different. Like we Spencer and I really like action anime. We like shonen. We like battle, you know, we like stuff, you know, bleach is not like the best show ever, but it's got really great fights. And so we like it, you know, for the most yeah. part, there's, it's more complicated than that, but mostly we like it. And same thing with Naruto, you know, like we shit on Naruto a lot, but like, I like Naruto and I like it because it has cool fights and that's what I'm here for. Um, that's also something I talked about in the last Hunter X Hunter episode is that it's a little bit of a disappointment for me that the series promises those kind those same kinds of shonen fights and does them very well when it does them, but doesn't do them very often. Um, you are not necessarily that kind of person. You all, you know, there are lots of people out there who like, um, like Tenchi Muyo is an example of a, an anime that is more around like romance, a little bit of that, like fan service, sexual fantasy kind of thing. And I think, the frustrating thing at being an insider when outsiders look at it, sometimes they lump everybody into the worst parts of anime, either yeah. the fact that some anime like Digimon or Pokemon are aimed at children. So they think that all anime is aimed at children and therefore that you are kind of immature for watching it, which obviously as we all know is not an accurate read on anime pretty much at all. Um, those, those anime are actually the exception rather than the norm. Um, or that you are into really weird fucking sex stuff or that like the fan service is part of the show that you really like. And like, as you know, like Spencer and I, we don't like the fan service. It really bugs us and it takes us out of it. And we pretty much always wish that it was never, it was just skipped over and taken out entirely. But yeah, you, you get stuff like that where you're lumped into it. I, I will say, I think that there's a, there's, um, a very complicated and nuanced conversation to have around like enjoying fan service and even enjoying the weirder fan servicey things like tentacle porn or like looking at like those kinds of um, sexual power play, like that kind of stuff can be explored in an adult space. Um, we definitely don't have time to go into it on here. If you would like to talk to me more about it, I'd be happy to have that conversation with you uh, on social media. So reach out to me directly uh, if you'd like to. Um, but yeah, in general, it's a little distasteful and should probably be avoided. Yeah. So let's Anyways. talk about what happens because of this. Um, there's, <laughs> there's this so, guy. The, the only thing that makes this better, though, is that uh, he totally immediately gives his comeuppance. And yes. it's not if I'm a fucking white knighting for this woman. It's because this woman fucking takes it into her own hands that this shit is not okay and fucking kills this guy. Yeah. Um, it's also, thankfully, which, it's an attempt. It's not like he tries to, like, violate her and she protects herself. So nothing happens beyond the sort of trauma of the attempt. Correct. And it's also one of those things where, like, she kills this guy because he tried to attack her and it's not one of those things where it's just like, yeah, kill people. Immediately, she is just, like, remorseful. Like, oh, God, I just killed somebody. And he's like, no, 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 it's it's okay. It's okay. It's fine. It was in self-defense. 
let me go do this thing. And she's like, okay, I'll follow you. And then she just like falls off a cliff and hits her head. And <laughs> Yep. that the place is flooded so as to cover this up and erase all of the evidence. Inamori then is tasked with going to the students down in the floodplain and getting them to evacuate. However, while she's on the way, it's raining and she slips down a cliff <laughs> and hits her head. So then Kaniki... This, this felt... That moment... Of, like, her slipping and falling, hitting her head, and, like, you know, basically being killed by it. I was like, oh, oh, I guess, oh, I guess that's fine. <laughs> it was, I thought it was kind of horrifying, because yeah. it just felt like, uh, it, it like, triggered that part of me that's like, you could die at any time, Titus. Yeah, and- I know! <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't like, have oh, to be plot relevant. Like yeah. it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is to move the story forward. No, that's not what fucking happened. She died well, because she died because of a random fucking occurrence. <laughs> yeah. And so because she didn't warn them, they're still there. So Kamiki, after like after the dam starts spewing the water everywhere, Kamiki goes he like rides on his bike and he's riding by where they are. He sees them trapped on the roof, like screaming out to him for help. And he's like, why are they still there? And it's this horrible fucked up situation. And Kamiki is sitting there thinking to himself, like, do I, you know, risk my life to try and save them and probably die also? Or do I save myself and live with the shame of knowing that I let them all die? And then he chose option two. (laughs) <laughs> well, he actually kind of doesn't get to pick because he looks and Inamori, he sees that she has been like k- presumably killed and that sh- her body seems to have been washed down into the building that's being flooded and her arms are now wrapped around this coil. And then the coil glows and there's like this area spatial distortion and then our flashback ends and we're going to come into yep. the climax of this show. Or this episode. Yeah. And you sort of don't know if it is a flashback or if this is existing in another dimensional existence, which we find out, yes, that's what's fucking happening, is that these two worlds that are colliding inside of this area are two different dimensions that are happening simultaneously, and yet at the same time they're in sort of a loop because of this coil that is connected these two parts of... uh, two two uh, dimensional rifts, these two universes. Um, Yeah, the coil is one of the numbers, and so it's particularly powerful, and it's warping reality. Yeah, and uh, she, the um, uh, what is it, Kamiki? Kamiki? Inamori. Um, Kamiki was the guy, yeah. yeah, Inamori is trapped inside of this like block of ice um, that uh, is kind of floating in the middle of the air with her wrapped around uh, the coil, um, 
all of these memories that are happening around her, all of these different dimensional rifts that are happening around her are these, uh, these people that are existing on one side or the other, just caught in a time loop. And because these people inside of, uh, this, this area, um, uh, have been getting killed. They're like, Oh, it must be that she is projecting these, uh, these pieces of the dimension and, uh, in from one place to the other, and the thing that is holding them in place is this water that she has connected between the two worlds. So it's like almost like that she has the power to turn her memories out of water into these people. Um, and our Mira is going to break through this block of ice that she's trapped inside of, uh, connect inside of the coil and release her consciousness enough so that she can accept that she no longer needs to keep this coil running. Um, and we're also, she can just we're going to fade away. Right. We're also going to find out that the, the memory that we saw was a little bit inaccurate. So it either happened a, a different way and was misremembered or misunderstood, or that was actually like a different dimension that smashed into this one. But what happened yep. in our dimension was that Inamori did fall and hit her head, but she didn't die. She was recovered later, and she just had lost her memory. And yep. when she comes back, she is named Marisa, which is the girl who connects to the other side using her dreams. So the coil somehow connected to her and the water of this lake, and since I guess since she was still alive and not directly connected to the coil, it started accessing her through her dreams because of this other dimensional connection. And that's yeah, what's been causing really, all this problem. There's it, there's a, a really interesting uh, com- like conversation uh, to be had about this episode and exactly what is happening inside of like the time-space continuum. Um, that this show takes a moment, to, like they briefly glimpse over, um, and this show does a, a pretty cool job of it. Um, after we watched the first couple of episodes, I went back and I was like, I want to read about like the the theory, but be- uh, behind like if you were to slam two universes together and the kind of energy that would be created. Um, there's a there's a really cool article that's written by uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson where he's talking about like multiverse multiverse theory, um, and they talk about it all the time inside of the uh, the Marvel universe. Um, but the the way that he explained it, and one of the things that I think about is really cool about the show is that the the thing that you would create by slamming two universes together would number one be a um, a wormhole effect so that you could travel it's instantaneously between two different places. And the second thing is um, if the atoms were colliding with one universe to the other universe at such a rate to create like a rift in time and space, you would create basic like basically infinite energy, which is what they're talking about instead of the show. Yeah. So like I am so fascinated to find out um, like this creator, how much did he dig into like actually understanding like multiversal theory? It's just, I don't know. It's really badass. And I'm going to take it a step further and say that like Neil deGrasse Tyson, I know you're listening. So if you'd like to come <laughs> on the show and oh talk God. about that in depth, we would, we, I think that would be okay. I think Spencer and I would both be okay with that. Yeah. I would shit. I would you shit as a, a listener. Shoe. 
I'm saying though, like, okay, the Neil deGrasse Tyson thing is a joke, but like, if we can land Michael B. Jordan because he's a known anime fan, like, how do we get Michael B. Jordan to listen and then come on our show and also for me to meet him in person? <laughs> yeah, let's please do that. Anyways, uh, this episode is uh, this episode is going to end uh, with the coil being destroyed by one of those spikes that uh, that uh, um, Kimori puts through things or Kiyoma puts through things. Um, he is going to have, uh, he is going to have destroyed this coil, um, and they're going to be driving off into the sunset. Um, yeah, that's basically, that's about it. Um, so we're in episode six, uh, the wind of Africa. And this by far is my favorite episode of the show so far because it is goes into a lot of the different anime stuff that I'm just like, this is my fucking jam right now. I feel like they're yeah. about to go into like the, the sweet part of the show where you have like the main antithesis, like the main antithesis. God, I can't say the word. <laughs> antagonist. The, the, the main antagonist, but I want to say antithetical character of the show. That's what it is. Yeah, that's not the same. Um, <laughs> wait, what? The, what does that mean then? antithetical i mean you could argue that antagonists are in a lot of ways antithetical to protagonists but they're not interchangeable terms what it would just be antagonistic character yeah okay anyways um grammar lesson aside um we're gonna get a <laughs> now character we all know. That, that promises to be fucking badass um by every single thing that he has done so far in this episode and i'm so yeah. fucking pumped that we have a really sick ass uh, like multi-ethnic cast of badass characters yeah. i'm just like yes fucking yes to mention w <laughs> uh, i'm so pumped i hope this turns into like a badass tournament arc at least for one good episode if not for the Dude, rest of it like when they talked about the fucking island i was like no yeah, I'm pumped up. So, uh, for, before we get into this episode too, the character design in this show is really good. I love it. Yes. Like, the animation is smooth and crisp, the colors are bright and interesting, and the character design is cool. Like, we're gonna meet, uh, like, Luai is a character that we're gonna meet in this episode, and I love this character's design. It's so cool. So, yeah. um, so basically the episode's gonna start off with this African prince, Prince Salva, is a much longer, more complicated name. I just wrote down that part. Um, he is going to come up. He's a prince from Africa who is actually known as the Wind of Africa. And he's going to arrive in Japan. Um, everybody's kind of freaking out about him getting here. Like, he's apparently pretty popular with, like, women. I guess because he's hot or something. And uh, he kind of disdains them, but but in private. Like, in public, he really, like, he waves at them and kind of gives them a good show. And then in private... Mm-hmm. Like gets in his little car and he's like, ugh, these people, gross. And then he's with his like assistant. It's a little unclear who she is or what she does, but her name is Lasithi. And then she's going to inform him that Prince Lawai has um, vanished. He's basically gone off on his own, and Prince Salva is upset to hear this. Yeah. So um, this this opening is uh, is also very good. Blake has commented on how it goes. Oh yeah, I yeah. love the opening song. I, the The animation in it is fine. It's exciting, but not like particularly unique or groundbreaking. But the song is really fucking fun. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. Also, 
Um, the next thing that is going to happen inside of the show is that we're going to get our first glimpse at Kiyoma's backstory that is not the Beast of Grendel. Um, he is visiting your grave, and he is thinking back on the previous episode where he's like, if there are multiple possibilities of multiple universes, then maybe I can rip through the universe and find you again. And you don't know who exactly he's talking to um, and who has died, but he seems yeah. genuinely forlorn about going up to this, and he talks himself out of going actually up to the grave. He's, like, yeah, he- walking up, and then he's just like, don't, don't give yourself the option of doing this. So he's yeah, you, you need to move on. Yeah, and it's oh, fucking so good. While yeah, this is happening, character beat. they give you, like, the fucking, they, the next thing they go to this is the city shot, and this is one of my fucking favorite things about the show, is that they keep on world building behind you and not yes. hitting you over the head with it. There it's are great. people talking on, like, television shows, and they're talking about how, like, oh, it's so interesting that, like, 60 per- uh, some people have, like, 60% of their body replaced by these mechanical parts that are running on coils. Um, yeah. And then this person but was, there's uh, a, like, a limit, and yeah. you can't go over 60%, but they're talking about how they might um, re- remove or adjust the 60% limit. This is such yeah. good world building, because yeah. it get, and- it's, like dangling a treat in front of you and it gives you this idea into the culture and into the history of the culture that got them got them to this place without just like sitting you down and telling you it and without going into so much detail like it leaves you wanting more and it lets your imagination run wild yeah and i will i will say that i uh i think that the first show that i have ever seen this do on uh in in anime world building perfectly is the show cowboy bebop because uh the fantastic especially the episode called brain scratch um we've talked about it on on this uh that one it, it really does this uh this tool perfectly where they use television as a media um or television as a medium to push the story forward with very organic ways of getting the point across without just fucking monologuing to you as the main character which would make no sense like one of my favorite things about him as a main character is kyoma doesn't give you shit about himself he gives you like just touches of his real fucking life. The only reason we're going to meet his sister in this episode. And the only reason we do is because he ripped his coat that he wears. He needed, um, yeah. I was shocked that he had a sister because of yeah. how he acts. I mean, I, I guess know. That, that's not necessarily <laughs> connected, but I was just like, what? He has like family living in the city. And like, yeah, he's just, he's great. He's, um, he's very strong, silent type, very much like, um, I don't know, like the gunslingers in Western movies or the samurai in samurai films from Japan. Like, mm. he is very much that type. And in fact, he's going to be mistaken for a samurai by Prince Luai, who is running yep. around the city just enjoying Japan and being vaguely disappointed that Japan isn't as what seems to be stereotypically Japanese. Like, Luai seems to have a sort of like stereo- media stereotype influenced. A- expectation of what japan's gonna be and it's being kind of disappointed it's so good and so then there's gonna be this weird biker that shows up (laughs) yep um this uh this biker is gonna be uh kind of kind of a dick um and he is there to reclaim uh um kiyoma is going to show up and be annoyed that this uh biker is going to do this um uh he he definitely um 
does not play nice with people that fuck with him. Um, He he immediately, like, um, I I don't know if he hits, like, a power cord inside of this, like, flying bike thing, Um, but he he hits, like, these pressure points with his little, like, needle things, um, and it, like, shuts off the bike. Yeah, it's awesome. He basically, like, the bike rears up it has some sort of mechanism where it can like raise up on its back wheels and has mechanical arms and it tries to attack him and then you basically don't see what happens and he just kind of like the attack and movement stops and kyoma just sort of like gently pushes on the bike and it falls over and then he just like goes and steps on it to keep the guy down and pulls out like three of his little like fleshette knife things and it's just like, when did this happen? How cool is this guy? Yeah. Um, there's uh, a little bit of, like, walking around the city funness uh, between Lawai and Kyoma. Um, one of the things that you're going to start to notice about this is that Kyoma is, um, or sorry, Lawai is a little bit too strong. Um, he does things, like, a little bit out of character that a normal person wouldn't do. Um, and one of the things you'll see is that he slams his fist when he tries to catch a fish inside of this tank all the way through the tank. Um, and it like breaks it in half. Um, and so you start to think to yourself like, well, this person really acts like a normal human being. Um, but at the same time, he's like a little bit different and he doesn't seem to understand his own strength. And it's just like, I'm starting to think like, what if this guy is another one of those like Mari where like he's, you know, not a hundred percent a cyborg, but like almost completely a cyborg. Yeah. Also, uh, we're going to see a cutaway to Salva, who is again looking for Luai. He seems to kill the biker that failed him by electrocuting him with these rings on his hand. Oh yeah. And then he, <laughs> yeah, he he tells Lasithi that he needs to find Luai by nightfall because he is a necessary pawn. Um, so we're definitely setting up some sort of mystery and intrigue here. And then we're going to meet yep. Kiyama's sister. Yeah. Um, before that, we are also going to see that there is uh, this this bodyguard that protects um, the, uh, the the person that keeps on hiring um, uh, Kiyama to do her like bidding as, um, as a collector. Um, yeah, her name's he, Mary and her bodyguard is named Four. Yeah, and Four is is uh, the top-of-the-line military-grade robot. Um, he is incredibly strong. He beats the crap out of people immediately, and he um, he's he's just very powerful. The only reason you know to know this is because there's a very brief fight that's going to happen later on with him, um, and you just need to understand how powerful this guy is, and people are talking about it. Anyways, yeah. let's meet He's, at, he's literally like renowned in the region for being so powerful. Yeah. So, um, inside of, uh, inside of this episode, we meet his sister, um, who she is working inside of like, I don't understand if it's a tea shop or exactly. I think it's a tailor shop because he goes there for clothes and then her like assistants also clothe Luai. Yeah. And, um, he is going to get an update to his, uh, jacket that he wears so that he can get more, um, you know his tattered robe replaced yeah he the and she specifically gives him a jacket that looks identical but it seems like it's constructed a little bit differently and he notes that it feels lighter than it is and uh, kind of practices pulling the flushette knife things out 
and um, putting them back in. And he seems pretty pleased with it. Um, she's also going to ask him if he's visited Miyabi, which is the name on the grave that he visited at the beginning of the episode. Um, and she mentions that he hasn't visited her in five years and that every time he goes, he gets close to her, he turns away. And he implies that he hasn't done it, even though he visited her at the beginning of the episode. And I don't know if it's because he didn't like go all the way up to the grave or if he's just lying. Uh, but it's really interesting, and it's a, another good, just like the world building, it's telling us something but not giving us enough information to just be an info dump. Like, this is the this is the way to do exposition. You put little breadcrumbs and let us find it. And it's mm-hmm. great. Yeah. So, um, uh, meanwhile, Lasithi uh, le, uh, le, le um, le shows up. Um, she's going to take... Uh, um, the prince back into custody. There's not a fight at all um, with this. It, it's very obvious they, that Luai is not being held like captive. Um, he is just being like uh, taken, and he just doesn't want to go back because he's kind of an imper- uh, like um, well, like sure. a impulsive little kid. Um, yeah. is the way that he comes across. Um, and as a parting gift, uh, Kyoma is going to throw him a fan, um, which. Uh, <laughs> It's just so stupid. Like <laughs> they try to like catch it, and it like goes underneath his arm. And I was just like, ah, "That's not how physics works." <laughs> yeah, I don't know what this fan is being powered by. It might just be pe- being powered by the narration. Yeah, I don't know what in world dreams. allowed it to do these things. But um, there's a really cool moment here. I didn't write this down, but at, after the Y leaves. Um, Tsubaki, which is Kiyoma's sister, comments that she's like, you're really nice to kids. And Kiyoma's like, well, you know, as long as we're both alive, we may run into each other in the future. Which I thought was, one, super Japanese. And two, kind of a good way to be. Like, you should just be nice and kind and genial to people. Because it... At the very least, you might run into them again someday. It's the same concept of, like, don't bully the nerds because the nerds are going to be the bosses someday. Like, even if it's self-serving, be nice to people. There you go. There's your moral for the story. Yeah. Anyways, um, uh, there's going to be a really, really, really quick fight scene between uh, Four and Layala. Or, um, and it it happens, uh, Luai, um, and it happens so fast that it's just like, it doesn't really even seem like it happens. Um, it's thrown it's a out as a threat. Battle. Yeah, it's thrown out as a threat to Mary. Um, what is going to happen is that um, they are being shown that even their strongest robot is nothing compared to Prince Lawai. Um His body is like this weird black metal armor, um, and he he literally rips for in half in one hit. Like, four goes yeah. to punch him, and he blocks it, and in blocking it, he breaks his arm in half. Um, yeah. And then he rips his his body apart, and then just fucking leaves. Um, yeah. Leaving Mary shook as fuck. Um, and shook. four, <laughs> Yeah. Um, and leaving four inside of, like, a tank being, re, like, re-put together by her mechanic. Um, yeah. Who is very pissed off because he's like, I've spent so much time working <laughs> I on love that part. He, he just repeats the same word like six times because he's so mad. Um, <laughs> we are going to get a 
quick cutaway to Loser and the Collector that I don't think they ever named um, with the bat stuff from earlier. They're looking for more numbers. Um, just reminding us that they're around and that, goddamn, <laughs> I want to see more of Loser. I know! And he's the coolest. So then we're going to... Um, so Mira came by the the tailor shop to find Kioma and tell him that Mary was pissed that he wasn't around. There wasn't a ton of content, so we didn't talk about it there. But now Kioma and Mira have both returned to Mary's, where they are shown that four is super fucked up, and they also are given a letter. And it turns out that Mary Mary um, supposes that four was attacked as an open challenge that. This is because Four is known throughout the region to be super powerful, somebody you don't fuck with. And she has been summarily destroyed. Like, she, they're going to have to put in a lot of work to get... Sorry, I, I'm calling Four a she because it looks female, but they do always refer to it as he. So, I'm just going to say, Four has been destroyed. And mm-hmm. it. this is... They're basically like, this is a challenge because people know that Four doesn't lose and now four has lost in the context of this challenge being left and kiyoma opens up the one kiyoma asks mary a couple of specific questions and realizes that the the being who attacked four was Lawai. but then kiyoma reads the note that was left behind and it is a challenge and it is a call to all collectors um, which Mary specifically mentions isn't really for all collectors because some collectors will be too afraid to go. Um, but we're going to learn a little bit about that challenge by cutting away to the person who has um, who has given it. That's not right. The issued. Word. Issued the challenge. Thank you. Yes, thank you. God. Silva. Silva is going to talk about how he is starting a war to end a war. Um, implying that there is a lot of turmoil inside this planet still. Um, but the biggest thing that they need to make sure that uh, everything is settled um, is that there is one power company, and um, it seems to be that there is one robotics company to rule them all, um, and Silva is the head of that one. Right. And so this challenge that he's... Um, he's issued is going out to all the collectors and it's telling them that in seven days you need to meet me on, or you need to meet at this place called Easter Island, which is also known as an Island of ruin. Um, the person he's meeting with is Claire. She's in charge of Tesla Corp. And she is like Baba shook about him using Easter Island as this location. Um, and then that's pretty much it. There is, it is a great hook. But at the very end, there's a brief flash, almost blink and you'll miss it scene, which it's basically like the camera is the perspective of one of the characters and we only see another character and we don't recognize her, but she's basically asking for help. And it looks like she might be pinned to a wall by like a car or something, but she doesn't seem Uh to be in the same kind of distress that you would get as if you were, for example, in the movie signs. But see, I did a full circle there. Did you like that? So (laughs) I think this might be a flashback to this Miyabi person that we heard about earlier in the episode, but it's not clear. It's just kind of given another dangling world-building cliffhanger. 
And that's it. That's the end of this episode, and that's the end of our episode. Woo! So uh, anyways, that was a lot longer uh, than I expected. We had a lot to say. Anyways, uh, stick with us. Uh, we will be back right after these credits. Blake and Spencer Get Jumped is made by Forever Summer Productions. With sound editing done by Rashad English of Plain English Productions. He's our level 5 sound wizard. Our podcast is ad-free and we want to keep it that way. If you want to keep it that way too, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Patreon members get exclusive member content and unlock group perks. Follow us on Twitter at B&S Get Jumped. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. Or talk to us on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash Get Jumped. If you like the show, please like, subscribe, and leave a review. Reviews help us chart on iTunes. And remember, new episodes come out every Sunday on your favorite podcast platform. Next time on Blake and Spencer Get Jumped. It's Naruto time again with the battle between the Hokage and Orochimaru. Hi, this is Billy Mays here. Have you ever wanted to summon a giant monkey to defeat your your student? Well, I'm going to show you how with the amazing ShamWow.